Hello and welcome to Working Historians, a podcast series where we discuss what historians do with their lives. I am Rob Denning, Associate Dean for Liberal Arts for Southern New Hampshire University's online history programs. Today, Jimmy Fennessy and I are catching up with our old pal Bob Irvine, who appeared in our second episode way back in the mists of 2017. Bob teaches graduate history courses at Southern New Hampshire University and is a consultant for Park Resources in Eastern Oregon. Today, we're going to discuss some of the consulting projects that Bob has been involved in over the past four years. So, Bob, what have you been up to? Well, the last four years, um, a lot of uh, continuing to... um... To do consulting work, um, uh, mostly with with tribes, uh, still with some nonprofits and, and local governments, and in a lot of ways, sort of chasing what is uh, chasing the the federal trends. In a lot of ways, every four years lately, there's been a, a change in presidential administrations, and so there's a a change in focus and emphasis in uh, in the funding streams. Um, Never more so than than right now, to be honest. Um, we're just swamped, and a lot of infrastructure money is coming out. Probably the most infrastructure money we've seen since 2009, and the all of that uh, Recovery Act money. Um, so we are we're really hopping right now, and um, right now it's mostly social service. But like I say, I'm getting ready for infrastructure, and um, and it's a it's an interesting world because along with Infrastructure, but also green infrastructure, um, energy efficiency is also right at the forefront. I'm working on a really cool project uh, in Port Orford that is focusing on lo- the live seafood market, which is something I hadn't haven't ever dealt with before. But it's um, it's pretty neat. And then also just recovery from COVID. That's that's a huge issue. And whereas in a lot of a lot of times I have made the case for different clients that. You know, their location is particularly hard hit or is particularly prone to poverty or unemployment. Now, every tribal client sort of has the same issue and so does every rural client. So I'm a little bit of a, of a sea change there, but lots of opportunities. Is there kind of a sense among the, uh, you know, the Indian community about, because um, it's the... Um, uh, Biden nominated the first Native American to the cabinet. It was the Minister of Interior, Minister mm-hmm. of the Interior, I believe, or not Minister, Secretary of the Interior. We don't do ministers here. <laughs> Secretary of the yeah. Interior. Um, and so, and so, you mentioned that there's kind of a, a sea change happening in federal funding and all of that. And so, do you see all of that kind of coming out of just because of the results of the election last year, or is there kind of a longer trends at play? You know, it's that's a really good question, and I'm I'm dying to get back out on the road and, and meet with um, with clients and, and a lot of friends too that that I've made over the years. It's it's just not the same, and people are not nearly as forthcoming over over Zoom, um, which is the format we the the platform we've been using a lot, especially with social service clients because it's. Um, I spent more time learning about HIPAA in the last year than I than I probably have um, in the previous twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I I don't I don't have the sense that I'm like getting the full story. But every every time an administration changes, there's um, you know especially when it goes Republican to Democrat, Democrat to Republican, there's there's a pretty substantial change. But um, this time there was a, I don't know, it almost felt like the floodgates were opened up. You usually expect change, 
but things got bottled up and then all of a sudden, plus you have the COVID plus the, uh, the focus on recovery and getting things moving. So um, there's a, uh, there is kind of a flood, but we've also seen um, deadlines get pushed back. Um, no, what are called NOFAs, notice of funding availabilities um, get announced and then pulled back in as the agencies are trying to figure out, um, hey, we've got more money than we thought we would. How how are we going to distribute it in an equitable way that we can defend to Congress later? So, Bob, we were talking um, a little bit earlier about, uh, well, where you were <laughs> right before COVID hit. Um, are you able to talk a little bit about some of the specific work that you're doing? Because I'd love to hear about that. Oh, yeah. You know, it's um, like I said, there's there's sort of a, a season, uh, grant seasons, and they and they move. Um, but right now I'm working on a lot of domestic violence projects for tribes, which are, which is not very, I mean, it's, um, it's hard, it's, it's hard, uh, reading, uh, the statistics, um, it's hard reading the, the stories and making in, and learning what I need to make, learning what I need to in order to make the case is, um, it's difficult. It makes me grateful, um, that those are not personal experiences of mine. Um, so right now I'm working on a lot of uh, domestic violence projects, but um, generally speaking, a lot of the tribal projects uh, very much are focused on um, moving tribes towards, um, you know, financial independence, um, sustainability. Uh, and, you know, here, here locally where I live in Northeastern Oregon, um, the uh, Confederated Tribes of the Umatilla, Umatilla Indian Reservation are the largest um, private employer in the county. And, you know, it's a county of 70, 80,000 uh, total people. So um, the tribes are becoming a, an increasingly important economic engine um, and, and figuring out how to, uh, to maximize that leverage, um, but also to diversify um, so that, uh, you know, when, when something like COVID happens, they're not completely... Um, wiped out is is the new challenge that I'm seeing from some of my clients. And it's sort of the lesson that some are taking away. Um, a lot of great emergency preparedness planning. Uh, folks were ready, but I don't think for this, uh, this scale of an impact. Um, so that's been at the forefront of, um, of a lot of what we were doing right before COVID hit. Uh, one of the things we were working on a lot uh, was energy independence, the development of microgrids, um, so that you produce the, the notion is you're going to produce power and you're going to consume it without necessarily being connected to the larger grid um, or selling that power back uh, because increasingly, at least in some places, power companies are not interested in in, in getting power back from their their consumers. So um, hopefully that'll come back around because I think it's a it's a pretty exciting field and it fits perfectly with with the tribes and their push for um, sovereignty. That, that makes a lot of sense to me. So that's the connection back to, um, to green and sustainable energy that you were talking about earlier in this new, yeah. um, this new infrastructure, the infrastructure bill that uh, yeah. the Biden administration is, is trying to push through that contains a lot of uh, renewable energy um, funding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, how, how that plays out. I mean, in some places in rural, uh, rural Oregon, anyway, there's, um, the sort of reaction to the the sprouting up of windmills and what that means for aesthetics and wildlife, but um, I, I see that as um, you know the uh, it's almost a, an irresistible tide in in some respects, um, and it's certainly things that um, 
rural communities in particular are interested in, um, and and also the future of hydropower. I, that's sort of something that I'm I'm really interested in as a historian. I focused on the development of water law and and the control of water in the West for my dissertation. Um, and of course, hydropower was at the forefront of that. And now we're seeing dams get taken out. Um, we're sort of starting to really assess the damage to things like salmon runs. Um, that's a cool project I'm working on for a tribe. I don't know if I can name, but it's here in the Pacific Northwest. It's, it's working on restoring salmon runs. Um, and part of that is, is linked to the dam, either dam removal or, or building hatcheries, which is pretty cool. Um, my, my daughter actually did an internship for the local tribe and their lamprey project and, and in their, their fisheries lab. So that's also very much on my mind. I don't know how it's going to play out, but I'm really interested to see what happens with, uh, with all of the core and the Bureau of Reclamation dams um, and, and what we do, because that power is pretty important, but the, uh, the salmon runs are also important. So that's sort of something I have no idea how it's going to play out, but I've got my eye on it. That's really cool. I think we've talked before about how my my dissertation was on environmental policymaking in California, and part of it was uh, the, the building of dams or not building dams. And it's always interesting to think about the changing the change the changing ways that we generate energy. And so, yeah, in the past there was a huge emphasis on hydroelectric because that seemed to be kind of the clean energy of its day. Because you know, theoretically, you're not spewing stuff into the atmosphere and you're it's just all i mean the water is flowing that way anyway so we might as well harness the water but there are some pretty dramatic uh effects on you know the the ecosystems and and the, the various wildlife that live in the area and so it's it'll be interesting to see how that stuff bounces back and then see how things transition to the new forms of energy like windmills I'm not a huge subscriber to the theory that windmills kill a huge amount of birds. <laughs> so I don't think we're going to see kind of the same comparable effect on wildlife that we would see with, with um, hydroelectric and all of that. But it will be interesting to see how the, how the environment changes with these changes, with, with these new forms of energy extraction that we're going to be pursuing over the next couple of decades. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's fascinating. Well, we did, we did an entire, uh, episode where we we discussed the research on the uh teton dam disaster didn't we oh yeah uh yeah um laurianne deaver i'm gonna have to go i'm gonna go i have to find that because that that story is fascinating to me i i don't know if that's a you know sort of a rubbernecking uh impulse on my part but that is and that really is the end of the pick sloan plan and the great dam building era in the west um what a what a really interesting chapter! What a marginal dam site too. Yeah, so yeah, she was talking about the the um, the collapse of the Teton Dam in seventy uh, six, and uh, yeah, that really was like you said, uh, Bob. That really was one of the last kind of gasps of the the big dam building era. Um, one of the other steps I think in that was you know getting back to me again because it's all about me and my dissertation. Um, there was the uh, the the canceling of the Round Valley uh, Dos Rios Dam in California in 69, uh, which was canceled because of uh, the 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 effects that it would have on the natural landscape and the Native Americans that lived there. So yeah, it, it it's all connected. That's cool. I'd forgotten about that cancellation. You know, it wasn't nearly as dramatic as the the dam failing there. Uh, 
And flooding was at Rexburg, where where all of the water inundated the town. I think so. That sounds right. I don't remember. I'm not. I'm not as well versed on the on the Teton collapses. I am on. <laughs> well, I'm actually not yeah. that well informed on much of anything, but. <laughs> Everything I know about it, I learned in our podcast. So <laughs> I know it's up north of the uh, uh, the Fort Hall Reservation, the Shoshone-Bannock tribe. So I, I worked out there, and I always meant to get up to that site, and I just never have managed. But it was always on one of those things. If we had a few extra hours, I was going to go up there. <laughs> it would be interesting to go up there and just see what 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 remains of the wreckage up there. The, I think sure. the only massive dam project I've ever seen. I mean, we obviously had like um, smaller dams in the area where I grew up, um, but it was the Hoover Dam. It was on um, my drive across country, moving back to California in uh, 2015, nope, 2017. Um, And uh, yeah, that was my first time ever seeing that dam. And it was just amazing. I got out of the car and ran across it as Aaron drove across slowly. Yeah. Did you go down inside of it? No, we had all of our stuff because we were moving. So we didn't oh, want to leave the car packed to the gills with every single thing that we owned. So um, it's on the list to go back to and actually get to explore it next time. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Oh, down yeah, there. you you absolutely have to. I, I took my kids on the tour and I took, you know, they were young. I think I think my youngest was probably four or five years old and he spent the whole rest of the trip Telling his mom what a damn cool tour he went on. <laughs> uh, as a kid, any chance to swear, even if it's not swearing. Uh, thanks, Dad. <laughs> Best yeah. damn tour ever, he said. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. All the, the talk of um, you know dams and flooding of valleys and uh, environmental change always reminds me of the final scene in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Well, I'm going to have to look at that episode because that sounds interesting. Uh, yeah, it's on the uh, yeah, it's it's in the feed. You go to workinghistorians.com. Everything's there. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Way to really push our website. Yeah, I'm plugging <laughs> it. Yeah, come on, take the take the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey Bob, uh, I know you're a guest, and we could give you the link, but why don't you just go to our website www.workinghistorians.com? It's the greatest. It's the greatest website you'll ever visit. I promise you. It actually is really great. <laughs> so I, I think one thing that I meant to ask you in the original interview, Bob, but I, but I don't think I actually got to it or we got distracted or something, but I was curious, how did you get into the consulting game in the first place? You, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it seemed like a good idea at the time. That's kind of my, <laughs> my line for a lot of things. Um, I, uh, I had the opportunity. Um, I, I really came out of the, my dissertation looking for a job, but my, my wife was ahead of me. She got a PhD first and got a job first and um, moved first. So, um, you know, I was doing sabbatical replacement stuff and um, I'd written grant, uh, you know, I'd written grants to support my dissertation and I had an opportunity to write a grant, a couple grants for a nonprofit and they paid me a few shekels and, um, and then uh I had the opportunity to uh, to join a consulting firm, and um, you know the the salesperson liked to have somebody on board with a PhD, could wave it around, and you know, and sales stuff, and, um, and I just sort of fell into it, and and I and I love the teaching. I, I really like the the teaching. This is this is such a wonderful opportunity to use the that background, but also gives me a reason to to read and keep researching, and also to connect the the research that I do 
I wish I had mm. more time to write things that weren't grants, but, um, you know, I'm working on that, but, um, yeah, it's really was just, it seemed like a good idea at the time. <laughs> well, it seems to have worked out for you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I'm, 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 uh, I'm very lucky and, uh, I'm not, you know, I love, uh, I love working where I do and, um, yeah, you know, I, one of these days I'll grow up and get a career. <laughs> don't rush it. <laughs> no, I'm not going to rush it. No. <laughs> are you with the? Are you still with the same firm you were with before? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. We're still we're still banging away at it, and um, it's. Uh, yeah, I, I find it I find it very rewarding. I I like I like the the projects that we do, and I like being able to walk away from. You know things that I think make a difference in the world, um, whether it's a health facility or a domestic violence shelter or um, you know a, a, a new tribal enterprise that puts people to work and, and brings some activity to a, a rural community. That's for me that feels like a win, and that's um, and that's plenty good. I was going to say you're you're taking that historical training, the the ability to research, the the ability to synthesize. Um, narratives out of experience and find find relevant information and impactful information and actually use it to have that real world that real world impact where you're not only impacting policy but you're interacting with real people and changing lives i i love the way you said that yeah i'm gonna have to there come back go. and That's watch what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that out. but yeah I, I think yeah i think the, i think a background in history is is nothing but helpful. And I, I have lots of friends that, uh, you know, I went to school with who don't work in history, who don't teach history, but that, that background of critical thinking, being able to analyze something, be able to draw conclusions and defend a analysis seems pretty relevant in a whole lot of, a whole lot of endeavors and fields. Yeah, I would say so. The, um, and That's yeah, what you're just, supposed to say. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're saying it in a room full of trained historians. You're probably not going to get much of an argument. Yeah. All right, I'll be the contrarian. You know, I don't think source analysis is really all that important. Yeah. Disclaimer: It is. Yeah. You might have a you might have a future too. Yeah, yeah. I, I I think to be the contrarian though puts me on the wrong side of everything that I believe in. So I, I forget that. Dang it. <laughs> yeah. If, if, if we ever work out a, a, a regular thing where we've got like the sticks for everybody, I, I don't want to be the contrarian. Never mind. Okay. <laughs> we won't force you to be the contrarian. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know what? We don't need any more of history training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> you know what profession should go away? Historic. <laughs> you know what we should revoke funding for? Yeah, you know it. Liberal arts. <laughs> of course, the supposition there is that there's funding in the first place. <laughs> yeah. Touche. <laughs> um, yeah. Use some reverse psychology. Just cutting a little too close here. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think, um, so, I, yeah, I mean, I think that kind of covers what we were intending to do here. Um but um, <laughs> it's really cool talking to you, Bob. We, were, we, I'm, 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 we may be calling you back just randomly just for the hell of it going forward. Oh, yeah, oh, sure. This I, yeah, this has been fun. I'll, I'll, I'll come armed with a better uh, with a better drink, too. Give you guys a heads up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll have to send us your, your, your shopping list ahead of time so that we can all be in the <laughs> yeah. same position. No, no. This is this was fun. Thanks for the invite. I um, 
I, I've enjoyed myself and uh, I get to talk about myself. Who doesn't like that? Well, right. I mean, that's one thing historians do is we just like to talk. Yeah. And argue. Yeah. So, you know, really, if you need a contrarian, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to do that. Just... All right. We'll figure something out. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be the the random guest every now and then Bob the contrarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're wrong. <laughs> Things are getting a little bit too chummy on this podcast. So we're going to call Bob back in for, for a day. <laughs> that would be hilarious. Bob, bring us back to Earth. I see a sidelight for me. That sounds great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is your, your alternate career where you make no money at all. And thank you all for joining us today. This episode appears on the Working Historians podcast feed, and you can subscribe to that feed on any podcast app, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Lyceum, Podbean, or whatever else you prefer. That way you won't miss any episodes, and you'll continue to hear all the other cool stuff that historians do with their lives. If you have any questions or comments for this or any of our other podcasts, send us a message to workinghistorians at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at workinghistorians and on Twitter at workhistorians. For Bob Irvine and Jimmy Fennessy, I'm Rob Denning. Take care of yourselves and each other.